0: Hi, this is Bob Bostock and welcome to another edition of Discover DEP. We are delighted to have with us today Mark Stewart, the Secretary of the Twin Lights Historical Society, who's here to tell us a little bit about not only the Twin Lights Historical Site, but about a very important event that occurred there many years ago that's particularly appropriate to Flag Day. New Jersey, of course, is one of the original 13 colonies or 13 states, and our state played a crucial role in the country's founding and history. On June 14th, The nation celebrates Flag Day as a way of honoring our nation's flag. Flag Day is a holiday that doesn't perhaps get the attention it deserves across the country, but New Jersey has a very special and unique, several actually very special and unique contributions to our flag and to the Pledge of Allegiance, which all of us as school children recited every morning we were at school. Mark, thank you so much for being with us. It's my pleasure. Mark, this podcast will be released on Flag Day, which is June 14th. Tell us a little bit about Flag Day.
1: Flag Day is a really interesting holiday. Uh, well, it's not really a holiday, is it? I think Pennsylvania is the only state that actually celebrates it and gives people a day off. But what a lot of people don't realize is this is the 100th anniversary of Flag Day. You don't see that all over the newspapers, uh, but in 1916, Woodrow Wilson, President Woodrow Wilson, Former New Jersey governor. Former New Jersey governor uh, established June 14th as the day we officially recognize the adoption of the stars and stripes by Congress in 1777. At that point, uh, they basically put out legislation that said it has to have so many stripes and a star for each state or colony at that point. The stars against the blue field uh, celebrates a new constellation, meaning, you know, America was a very new idea and um, uh after that flag day really was not much of a thing other than everyone remembering June 14th around the 1860s or 1870s after the civil war because flags were very prominent and you know everyone had fought for one uh there were some local towns that celebrated June 14th but it was not until a particular fellow uh whose name was Bernard Seagram from the Chicago area, made it his life's work to turn Flag Day into a big deal. And Bernard was a really interesting character. Uh, he was born in 1866. He was uh, the head of the uh, University of Illinois uh, Dental School in Chicago. He was uh, obviously a very uh, talented dentist in the 1870s or 80s. I'm not sure exactly what that looked like, but uh, uh, he was also a prolific writer. He probably wrote a 100 or maybe even 200 articles for uh, magazines and newspapers promoting Flag Day, getting people really interested in the flag. And, and that needed to be done, because in the years after the Civil War, people didn't fly flags. They didn't, flags were a reminder of, of people dying and people fighting, and uh, the whole group that did the Pledge of Allegiance and, at the Twin Lights, they were part of this, this sort of to reinvigorate uh, uh, the flag and, and Americans' uh, pride in it. So Seagrand just beat this thing to death. And finally, in 1894, he convinced the Board of Education in Chicago to give all the kids a day off and celebrate Flag Day. And let's see what happened. 300,000 people showed up in Chicago's five parks and at that point, everyone's on board with Flag Day. 36 governors, five former presidents, everyone is now on board trying to get Flag Day turned into something, Mm -hmm. into a thing. And... Even so it still took twenty two years for Woodrow Wilson for the for the president to uh uh to make it uh official, just to recognize June fourteenth as Flag Day. And it took then until nineteen forty nine to actually make a law saying that Flag Day was June fourteenth. Uh Harry Truman did that. And um, one of the interesting things about Flag Day, or I should say June fourteenth, uh the Congress said this is the flag act. This is what the flag needs to look like. The first flag, as far as anyone can tell, that went up a flagpole that looked like a Stars and Stripes was in Middlebrook Encampment, which I think is, is, is a park, right? Yeah. In Bridgewater Township. Yes, it is. So there's another great connection to the flag that New Jersey has. Uh, the first time it was used in battle was in August of that year at Fort Stanwix, which is in the Mohawk Valley. There was a siege, the, uh, the British and... Their Indian allies and everyone else, the Tories, uh, laid siege to Fort Stanwix, and the first Stars and Stripes went up over Fort Stanwix. and actually the siege was broken by Benedict Arnold, a very clever general who came up behind them and kind of bluffed them into retreating. Uh, obviously, that was one of the highlights of his career. You know, things didn't work out after that. But 1777 was a big year for the flag, and we celebrate it today, 100th anniversary uh, of uh, Woodrow Wilson's proclamation.
0: Well, that's great. Long may she wave. Yes. Mark, tell us a little bit about Twin Lights.
1: Uh, it's a historic site. It's one of the highest points on the eastern seaboard. It's the only connected lighthouses in the United States. Uh, the current structure uh, was uh, built in 1862. There had been Twin Lights up there, but they were not connected. Uh, they were built in 1828, and... The idea was uh, as ships would come across the Atlantic and near New York Harbor, there was not a deep channel there as there is today. If you go to Twin Lights now, you'll see these great big ships going in and out, kind of a straight shot. Back then, the deep channel was very close to the Jersey Shore, and if you imagine a sailing ship or a a low-powered vessel, you had to aim yourself right at the Jersey Shore and then hang a hard right when you came within sight of land find that channel and get into New York Harbor. So you can imagine if there, were, um, if there was a storm or some other problem, uh, you'd end up running aground on the sandbar, which was a har- you know, horrible fate. And um, the twin lights, uh, along with the sandy hook light and a light ship out in the harbor, uh, enabled the mariners to either triangulate or at least know when they were getting perilously close to shore. So it saved you know, countless thousands of lives.
0: So Twin Lights is today a uh, state park that people can visit. Mm -hmm. What would they find when they
1: go there? Uh, We have a wonderful museum, which uh, just opened a new exhibit, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's one of the great, you know, free amusement park rides in New Jersey. You can go up and down that tower and have spectacular views.
0: How many steps on the
1: tower? I believe they're 65. So that's a
0: good workout.
1: It is, it is. When we first moved there 20 years ago, I had two young daughters, and when they were getting particularly rambunctious, I'd drive them up to the Twin Lights, and that's how I discovered it. i just try and wear them out.
0: <laughs> that's great. And uh, so at Twin Lights, there's, uh, there's a museum there, as well as the uh, lights that folks can see. What would they uh, normally find in the museum?
1: Uh, the museum... Uh, has been completely renovated. It was kind of an old, funky, maritime-themed museum with some wonderful history in it. Uh, A lot of history happened at the Twin Lights, which was celebrated in the museum, but we thought it needed a a facelift. So in the three years after Hurricane Sandy hit, the Twin Lights Historical Society raised some money, mostly from visitors, uh, not so much from private donations or the state, to uh, really give it a head-to-toe uh, makeover and now it's four separate gallery spaces with beautiful lighting and uh at the moment uh it's home to the uh, exhibit called Seen Stars and the theme is every flag tells a story and it's we we brought in uh through the generosity of collectors and other people about 2 million dollars worth of uh, historic flags and patriotic artifacts and uh it's just it's a unique and wonderful uh, exhibit.
0: And that exhibit, Seeing Stars, is particularly relevant at Twin Lights because a very special historic event occurred back at Twin Lights uh, back in the 19th century. Yeah,
1: in 1893, uh, on April 25th, the Pledge of Allegiance was given there uh, as the national oath of loyalty for the first time. Uh, people are familiar with the Pledge of Allegiance as uh, an oath that was uh, written originally for school children about seven months earlier, uh, to recite on Columbus Day, and it was it was meant to be kind of a one-time deal, but uh, it, it just uh, it took hold, and in very short order, including a change of presidents from Harrison to Cleveland, uh, it got this great momentum, and, and everything just came together beautifully, and that's where it was said first.
0: So at that first reciting of the pledge, uh, Francis Bellamy, the author of the pledge, was present, I yes, understand? Yes,
1: he was. He was there... There was a certain amount of commerce involved in this event. You know, as always, uh, there was a lot of patriotism. The people who put the event together were very patriotic. One was a uh, Newark businessman named uh, William McDowell. He went back and forth to Europe quite a bit, and, you know, this is about the time that Ellis Island was opening, so he would be, you know, in the upper decks of these ships coming over, and on the lower decks, or in steerage, you'd have all these immigrants who had, you know, made incredible journeys, and now... They were coming across the Atlantic, New York was getting close, and the first thing they would see rising above the horizon, if you think about it, were the twin lights. And it was McDowell's idea to build a 135-foot flagpole called the Liberty Pole, which would be twice the height of the existing towers. So it would really sort of pierce the horizon with this enormous flag. Think of a uh, an auto dealership flag on steroids. It was just enormous. And the April 1893 event was the dedication of this Liberty Pole, and uh, during which uh, the people who were pushing the Pledge of Allegiance showed up and, and were part of the were part of the celebration. And yes, Bellamy led the uh, the crowd in the pledge.
0: Now the pledge that was recited on that uh, day back in uh, the late 19th century was not exactly as we know it today,
1: was it? No, it was um, uh, it was missing some things like the United States of America and under God. The original pledge was I pledge allegiance to the flag and the Republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And those words, there was a lot of thought that Bellamy put into it and he had to because he had some very powerful bosses, each of whom had an agenda they wanted followed for this little 15-second pledge. And uh, he managed to satisfy all of them. And how many times can you work for three bosses and end up with something that makes them all happy?
0: Uh, very infrequently. <laughs> the words that we're familiar with today, when were they added?
1: In the... Uh, in the years that followed, um, Civil War veterans were becoming a little bit irritated with the idea that the flag was being used for commercial purposes. If you go back to the turn of the century, anything that was being sold had a flag in the advertisement, and so there's this general mood that the flag needed to be respected a little bit more, and there had to be some rules that governed, you know, how it was handled and, and how it was displayed, and uh, that happened with a Flag Act in 1923 and 1924, the, uh, there were all sorts of rules that, that we now follow, but before that it was kind of loosey-goosey in terms of what the flag even looked like, how the stars were arranged, things like that. Uh, but part of that uh, was the fact that the uh, the words United States were added, and then a year later America, United States of America, and then in the 1950s during the Cold War, so there's always some outside influence here, some you know, political force being exerted, there was a feeling that the Pledge of Allegiance really could work for any country in the world. You just substitute the country's name, and this was sort of an anti-communist era, and the one aspect of communism that I think irritated a lot of people was that they were uh, not interested in religion. They were considered a godless... Atheistic. uh, uh, Yes. So there was a big move to put the words under God in there, and... They waited until Eisenhower was president. Eisenhower was not a religious person, but as president he had to declare, you know, he was a member of a certain religion. And in 1953, he was inaugurated. In 1954, there was enough pressure put on him to uh, put those words in there. And, and the pressure, uh, the, it was the sons of the American Revolution, actually, who exerted this pressure. And uh, they claimed that uh, under God was a term that was used by Lincoln a lot. And that, that appealed to Eisenhower. So. Uh, and, that's, and and by the way, the president, part of the 1920s flag deck was the president can change anything about the flag he or she wants and also anything about uh, the Pledge of Allegiance, which is interesting. The president can actually change the working of the Pledge of Allegiance, but it hasn't been changed since then.
0: On the anniversary of that first reciting of the pledge, April 25, 1893, are there any reenactments done at Twin Lights on a regular basis or occasional
1: uh, we did one uh, this uh, recent April 25th. It was the 123rd anniversary. We had some uh, state and local dignitaries there. We tried to replicate the enormous flag. You'll see this maybe if you go on the Twin Lights website or in other history books. On the day that the pledge was originally given, there was a flag, an enormous flag draped entirely over the center portion of the, of the, uh, of the lighthouse. Well, we couldn't really find a flag that big, but the one we found was, I think, 250 square feet, and we raised that. So it had the same kind of impact and effect. The Liberty Pole is long gone. That lasted for a few years, and you can imagine a 135-foot flagpole, you know, waving back and forth. And we know from the lighthouse keeper's logs, it was constantly breaking, constantly having to be repaired. So that was taken down, but the base is still there, so you kind of get the feeling. And I think the people who were there that day really felt like they were on hallowed ground.
0: Seeing Stars is a great exhibit. I had the chance to go through it recently, and it's so appropriate in the new museum space to have this exhibit, particularly with Twin Lights' connection to the Pledge of Allegiance. What are some of the things that visitors would see in the Seeing Stars
1: exhibit? Well, we look at who goes to that museum, and it's kind of a third, a third, a third. A third of the people really love lighthouses. A third of the people are really interested in history, and a third of the people are just looking for a little air conditioning after a day at the beach. So we have to serve all three constituencies. So when we were redoing this museum, we wanted something that would be interesting, engaging, meaningful, relevant to each of them. So every one of the each of the four galleries uh, is sort of a mix of artifacts and information, video, things that would appeal to one or all of those groups. So we we really went out and tried to find uh, a very diverse uh, group of artifacts. We have, for instance, a flag that was sewn by Betsy Ross's granddaughter. We have a painting there uh, called Our Banner in the Sky, which is you know, arguably the most famous painting from the Civil War era. We have a Civil War drum uh, from a New Jersey regiment. All these things involve the flag or an eagle or something like that. There's, there's clearly a theme. And we also have, uh, besides, many historic flags, uh, such as the Buffalo Soldier flags, we have the First California flag, we have flags from the early 1800s. I mean, people walk in there and they, their eyes widen, their jaws drop, and, and some people get very emotional, which is interesting. And of course, we have a lot of uh, flag-related artifacts from the various wars. And in fact, we have a whole room themed that way. And then we also have a room, uh, again, for the people who love lighthouses that really helps tell the story that we just discussed uh, about the connection of the Pledge of Allegiance. The
0: twin lines. What are the hours of the museum? When can people go? Uh,
1: during these uh, summer months, uh, spring and summer months, uh, we're open Wednesday through Sunday, uh, 10 to 4, and uh, occasionally we're closed very briefly over lunchtime. We have one state employee there. Everyone else is volunteers, so if a volunteer doesn't show up, sometimes we have to scramble, but uh, there's plenty to do around the site. If you, you know, you go there, park, eat, take pictures, uh, it's a beautiful place. And, of course, the town of Highlands is down the hill and they have all sorts of wonderful places to eat and places to go also.
0: Some amazing views from up there at Twin
1: Lines. Yeah. yeah. The view of New York City is is remarkable. If you're ever curious about Sandy Hook, you know, we always see Sandy Hook on these weather maps as kind of a little elbow sticking out under New York Harbor. And uh, it's interesting to see what it looks like when you're right there. We have a great view of that. And... Um, uh, and what was interesting was in the year after uh, 9-11, our visitorship went from typically about 70,000 went up well over 100,000 and it's because the people would drive up there because they understood this is the best view of, you know, what New York looked like in this, in this new age, so to speak. So people came up there for a completely different reason than we'd ever anticipated and, and they became very emotional and that was one of the reasons we started talking about. How can we make this place more meaningful to all Americans, not just people like White Houses?
0: And how long is the Seeing Stars exhibit going to be in place?
1: It'll be up through this year, and elements of it will be continued on uh, through 2017.
0: So you're probably already planning the next exhibit.
1: Uh, we are. We're having those discussions. Some of it, you know, it's a park site, so some of it we have to get a thumbs up from the parks people about what we can keep and how much we have to change. Part of that exhibit will always tell some aspect of the lighthouse story. And that story uh, is not just about um, navigation and maritime history. Marconi made his uh, first commercial wireless broadcast from there. We The first radar experiments were conducted up there. The first Fresnel lens was installed there in the 1840s, uh, which is very important. We we were very close to Bell Labs, and those Bell Labs guys come over, and they see this place is where the the science of optics in the United States began. So anything... Involving telecommunications because of Marconi, anything using um, fiber optics—that really got its start right at the Twin Lights. So there's there's a lot of science there, and also there's a uh, there's a little, uh, you know, I call it a shack. It's not really a shack. It's 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 a life-saving station. It is the original number one life-saving station in the United States. It had been built at Sandy Hook. Somehow survived every storm and in the 1940s or 50s. They moved it up the hill because it was out of commission. And to have an artifact like that available just to look at, we haven't been able to interpret it yet because there's a lot of little hurdles and things like that. But uh, when we get Coast Guard or life-saving people go up there and they read that little plaque, they can't believe it. It's like they visited Mecca. So we have a lot to work with up
0: there. Yeah, what an amazing uh, story and so much history crammed into one spot in Highlands, New Jersey, overlooking uh, New York City, New York Harbor, and Sandy Hook. I understand. Also, there's a documentary about the um, about Twin Lights that you have a fairly famous actor narrating.
1: Yeah. So, in in doing the research one does when you're completely redoing a museum and, and around a particular theme, we ended up with a lot of information. We ended up with a lot of storytelling opportunities. And uh, somewhere in the discussion, someone said, "You know, this would make a great documentary." Just the way someone always says, "This would make a great book." Well, go ahead and do it. Right. Well, one of the people who's involved with the lighthouse uh, ran into Ed Asner, uh, who is, you know, famous from Lou Grant, Mary Tyler Moore, most recently uh, Up, right, um, and uh, and even uh, The Good Wife too. He's been on that, but uh, he's obviously a very hardworking actor, and he's got, uh, you know, great gravitas to his voice. and And uh, this was several years ago, uh, and, and this person had mentioned the kind of things that we do at the Twin Lights, and and. And Ed said, oh, that's great. You know, if you ever do something like that, uh, like a documentary, something like that again, uh, give me a call. I'll help you out. Now, he's a really nice guy, and I'm sure he says that to everyone. I have actors in my family. They're always saying that, okay? When you actually call them up and say, hey, you remember that conversation? They don't. Well, we called them up. We figured, why not? Uh, And we said, would you read the, we're thinking of doing a documentary, would you read the introduction? And he said, yes, absolutely. I'd be happy to. Uh, but please send me the script because, you know, I'd like to know what I'm, you know, introducing. And uh, after reading the entire script, he said, you know what, I'll do the whole thing for you. I'll do all the narration. Wow, that's great. So the documentary is called You Heard It Here First, The Pledge of Allegiance at the Twin Lights. It uh, was released about two months ago. We entered it in the Garden State Film Festival, and it won Best Documentary. It also won a Telly Award in New York. So we're two for two, and I think we've now been encouraged to enter it in other things, uh, and hopefully we'll have a great you know, awards this season. Yeah, face well, face.
0: when you get that Oscar, you're going to need to come back and yeah, show to maybe it to it.
1: Yeah, next, maybe our next uh, project. Now everyone's on the documentary train. Yeah, they want to yeah. turn everything into a documentary. I have to, you know, have to remind people that you don't win every single time. And it is for sale, by the way, How at, be, at yeah. the museum store and I think soon on the website we 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 ordered uh i think it was 400 right off the bat they're gone they just disappeared so we're now scrambling to, to resupply that's great
0: so people could visit the website what's the website
1: address twinlightslighthouse.com.com that's yeah. easy yeah, you enough can find it on google
0: even i can remember yeah. it that one yeah. well mark stewart secretary of the twin lights historical society the twin lights historical society has got to be one of the premier friend societies in our state park system i think anyone who visits there and sees the museum and sees uh, the upkeep that's there and also the care that is kept in that place will uh, be impressed not only by all the history there but by the work of the Twin Lights Historical Society. I would particularly encourage people to go see the exhibit, Seeing Stars. As Mark mentioned, it is uh, a beautiful exhibit uh, mounted with all of the latest techniques that people see in the most up-to-date museums. As you mentioned, it's not one of those musty old museums. It was last touched in the 50s. It's engaging, it's interesting, it's visually stimulating, and uh, I think people will really, really enjoy it, and I encourage folks to get out there to the Highlands, to the Twin Lights, and see this exhibit, Seeing Stars. So Mark, thank you so much for joining us today for this podcast. Really exciting, the work that's going on out there. Uh, The history in our state is amazing, and uh, people don't uh, fully appreciate how much history was made here from the revolution all the way on into the uh, technological revolution in the current day. So thanks for joining us, Mark, and good luck with all your future endeavors out there at Twin Lights.
1: Thanks. Thanks. I had fun. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcasts.com at dep.nj.gov enjoy the rest of your day